Hi there, everybody. My name is Akash Bhatt and welcome to the DCVC podcast. Here on the show, I host investors and operators investing in building companies all around the world. Well, today on the show is Prayang Swaroop. Prayank is a partner at Axel and he joined the firm in 2011 and he focuses on investments in cybersecurity, developer tools, marketplaces and SaaS. Some of the investments he's led include companies such as Zetwork, Sintel, Secureden, OnSiteGo, Bizongo and Skeps. Prior to Axel, he worked at Adobe and Standard Chartered Bank in India and Singapore. He's held several positions across engineering, product marketing, pre-sales and product management. He holds a master's degree in mathematics and computing from IIT Delhi and an MBA from Indian School of Business Hyderabad. And in today's show, Priyank and I sit down and talk about some of the learnings that he's had over the course of his career and we reflect back on what's been a tough year in terms of venture activity in India and some of the sectors that he's personally taken an interest towards during this lull period. So let's head in and listen to some fantastic insights about the state of Indian venture capital through the eyes of one of the leading investors in India. Priyank, welcome to the DCVC podcast. I'm really excited to host you here on the show today. We've been conversing in person and had this conversation Plenty of times to have you here on the show, and finally we're able to make this happen. So delighted to have you here, and looking forward to the course of the next forty-five minutes or so to delve into the deeper journey that you have had in Indian venture capital. Thanks, thanks, Akash. Uh, looking forward to this. Uh, you know, very excited. Uh, so very interestingly, like twelve years back when I joined VC, I actually tried to buy the domain the DCVC. Wow. Uh, yeah, I did, and I was planning to buy. It. I was like, maybe, maybe not. I don't know whether I, how long I'll be in VC, so I didn't decided not to buy it then at that time. So very interesting. So I'm being interviewed by. You. So well, very serendipitous to actually hear that that somebody tried getting this domain. Uh, or we can obviously talk about uh, collaborating in some other way, shape, or form later as well. But you yeah. know, typically, I I kick start my episodes trying to understand the journey as to why somebody wants to become a venture capitalist, and I'm going to pose a very similar question to you as well because when you started your career in VC, VC was not as hot as it is today. Yes, sure, it's a very different career path because India had not perhaps opened its door or the ecosystem had not really blossomed into what it is right now, where a graduate out of undergrad or somebody who was in consulting or in any other field when they talked about vc it was pretty alien what kind of made you take a bet on the indian startup ecosystem and on yourself that this is going to be something that's going to you know give you an opportunity to one blossom and to really hone in your skills at that point of time well i mean i think people now or or students now are a lot more educated than i was when i decided to join vc at that time uh, so i had Graduated from IIT Delhi and then worked for five years at Adobe and then went and did my MBA from ISB Hyderabad and during that you know I during the MBA program everybody just basically talked in our time it was everybody wanted to go to McKinsey or investment yeah. banking job right and uh, somehow we I ended up on this entrepreneurship lecture uh, I was always keen to start off my own company I tried a couple of companies and uh, during my college days. and undergrad and they kept talking about these people who give money to startups like pe and vcs and all that and 
when I spoke to a bunch of my classmates, everybody said, P, you have to be like a jock on quant. You have to be like, uh, you know, Excel sheets. And that didn't sound interesting. So I said, this VC thing sounds very interesting. Where you in? So I actually tried interviewing with one or two people I knew in VC at that time. And everybody came back and told me, hey, you should not be a VC. You should be a, start you should be a startup founder. So actually, I got rejected in my first VC interview. So I said, you know, I don't know. Maybe uh, it's not for me. And I went and promptly joined the job. And then a year later, uh, somehow, uh, one of my friends whose company was funded by a startup, they said, hey, you know, I'm invested by Axel and they're looking for a, a associate. Would you like to talk to them? And when I started talking to Axel, it was, it didn't feel like a maths or a, you know, a quant interview or a finance interview. It sounded more like a product manager. How do you understand products? What will become big? Why do you think customers will like it? That so I thought this is fairly interesting. So I I and you know like I moved back from Singapore. I was in Singapore at that time. Took like a you know seventy five percent pay cut to come back to India because I thought first obviously it sounded very exciting uh, or at least the actual team made it sound very exciting that you know you're going to help companies build and uh, before that I didn't have too much knowledge and to the big. For me, the big question was, I'm taking a pay cut. Does it make any sense for me in my life right now? And the way I thought about it is India is going to be the place if I believe truly that it's going to be developed. So I think that was maybe foresight in hindsight, or maybe just I was lucky that I didn't know too much. And I said, hey, you know, this sounds very interesting that I will help uh, build tech stuff in India. Yeah. So I think that played a role. So I, I, I would say I was a little lucky and a little right place, right time to get here. Uh, where yeah. I am. Yeah. You know, I was interviewing Shubham Goyal of Affinity um, mm -hmm. this afternoon and I asked him a very similar question as to what gave you the courage to get into entrepreneurship, right? And he said mm -hmm. something on the lines of, it's naivety. Like, I didn't really know, like, the fact that I didn't know any other option out there and the fact that I had, I, took, I was willing to take a bet on myself and being naive about things really helps a long way. Mm -hmm. Do you think being naive about the growth and the potential of Indian venture capital tech ecosystem kind of like also helped? Because of course, there was potential with India's, there's always that numbers game that India always puts up, right? Like 1.4 yeah, yeah. billion people, blah, 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 internet penetration. All. But really looking at the change that's come about in the last 14 years or 13 years right. is just phenomenal. Where India has gone from 2010 to where we are today, being one of the global superpowers when it comes to um, putting out great technology, not just, you know, domestically, but also international. Yeah, I think naivety, I think most VCs are naive. Like when I did my first investment in VC, I didn't, I mean, you just learn over a period of time. So you're, yeah. you're, most of the time, like for example, I started investing in cybersecurity three years ago. I had no idea of cybersecurity. Like I, I you know, you would go and talk to people, you learn from entrepreneurs, but even then you don't understand everything, right? So it's, yeah. in a way you're, you could call it ignorant, but you're also like, you know, somebody comes in, this is a great idea. And uh, it leads you to do sometimes be lucky, sometimes be wrong. Uh, you know, sometimes you miss good investments. You don't invest in a startup you think is going to be big. The naive, naivety is definitely part of VC story, at least part of mine, for yeah. sure. And yes, the VC, the, the Indian ecosystem, I think... I have seen that now the power of compounding, uh, you know, 12 years ago when I joined Indian VC used to get like 600 or $700 million a year mm. in 2021, which was the peak year. We got like $45 billion of investment, right? So yeah. in less than years, the amount of money coming into India went like 70 times. That's yeah. crazy. Right. 
but having said that i think the india is a uh, india always surprises us right so it's a it, it develops slowly but things change things are always, the india's i call it india's always an under construction country you know everything is getting constructed we're developing economy yeah. so it's very hard to predict the future uh, and generally till now it has been on the positive side of things um, so yeah. it's it's good yeah i agree with you i think the india story is forever going to fascinate people and it's not ever going to slow down and there are so many aspects about india that might be enticing to investors it's tier 1 series tier 2 tier 3 it's the growth of the middle class the lower middle class and just the appetite that comes along with having a 1.1.4 billion people um and what they what they prefer and what they want it's the aspirational classes that are coming into um the masses right now now you talked about just the phenomenal growth in terms of just the funding right we talked about the peak of 2021 where we saw 45 billion dollars being invested how do you think the market has recovered in india right now given what we saw in the last 3 years we went through uh, a peak we went through uh, a bit of a valley after that where is india in mid 2023 or in october of 2023 how how do you think the market's like bounced back or do you think it's still in the process of like healing what are you and your other colleagues in the industry looking thinking talking about in terms of where india is in terms of the global bounce in with the context of the global bounce back story yeah i i don't think india has bounced back uh, i think we are still in the recovery journey right now and it will take some time um, mm-hmm. in fact there are two schools of thought uh, one is that hey we are starting to recover the second school of thought this is a false recovery right now it things mm-hmm. can go back again definitely not on the positive uh, you know narrative till now mm-hmm. um, uh, and it is linked to the fact that and i think it's hard for sometimes entrepreneurs to digest it which is interest rates in the us just play spoils put everywhere you it know does. very high interest rates so people don't want to invest in stock markets in the us the people don't want to invest and it allows international investments from india which uh, majority of what public markets have been in the past that all gets sucked away to bond markets in the us and that brings down multiples of companies so people don't want to ipo and then if people don't want to ipo then growth investors don't want to put money in and if growth investors don't want to put money in it puts pressure on early stage investors to figure out hey whether my company will raise capital or not uh, so yeah. then everybody kind of slows down so we uh, we are in that phase we are uh, but we are starting to see but the counterweight to that argument is indian vcs have a lot of money uh, right yeah. so early stage vc seems to be doing okay i would not say exuberant or very good but deals are happening people are writing checks like if you're raising you know uh, you know 2 3 5 million dollars that's happening for sure but i think the the big question is whether you will be able to get that 10 to 20 million dollars uh, right now quickly i think that's the tough part to be in and definitely not the 100 million in short order like uh, so so i think that's the that's the that's the place we are today i think it will continue to happen for another maybe 12 to 18 months mm-hmm. so um, and it's really when us stock market kind of stabilizes rates kind of stabilize there is uh, and then we have geopolitical problems across the across the world right now right so that so it's a lot of, a lot of uncertainty today Uh, right mm-hmm. for a founder who is building out their startup or starting off on their journey i think they should not 
overthink too much of all of this if they are if they are finding customers and uh, you know they are able to get money from customers they should just keep building um you know i think that's the truth customer money yeah vc money and, and if you get vc money if you're lucky to get vc money then you know don't try to overspend it be very very measured in how you spend that money like all all are my all my companies i have told them that assume for the next 18 months you not get any new cash yeah so make sure you have you don't burn out your cash and then for and then after that you need your company to take like 6 to 9 months to raise cash so really we are talking about like a two year cash company mm-hmm. should try to keep right yeah no, i agree That's with you i think historically as well interest rates in the us indirectly always affects um you know venture funding influencing the cost of capital for investors startup valuations borrowing costs for startups exit strategies overall risk appetite of the investment community itself i i i i've, I've seen that we've, we've seen that happen in 2007 2008 as well it's kind of like happened yeah. um lately now as well you're talking about conserving capital for at least the next year and a half or two years yeah if you are a startup founder today early stage perhaps you can still do that you know later mm-hmm. stage when you actually have all of some of these variable and fixed assets that have already set in place how have you yeah. seen some of your best companies be prudent and much more efficient in terms of conserving costs as well as growing at the same time because growth is also equally important when it comes to conserving right so how have they been able to like find that fine balance and what do you think some of them are doing in terms of just best practices that you can perhaps share with us without obviously naming names i i think i think companies are not growing so i mean if it's a mm. choice between profitability and growth you have to become profitable mm-hmm. because you need to keep the lights on uh, and only when you're sure that you you not run out of cash so first and foremost is like hey you know cut costs very deep uh, if you need to uh, otherwise your company is in danger of shutting down uh, and then if you have money like you don't need to cut costs immediately uh, don't increase burn uh, even if you don't if you even if you have to uh, trade off uh, if even if you have to trade off growth for it so mm-hmm. today for majority of companies uh, that's that's where it is right so i like i know companies which have not hired a single person or increased their headcount burn in the last you know 15 months yeah not, right and yeah. i think that's it's it's very hard so i think the the problem is that most founders want to increase want want to grow and people come back and say hey you know you're telling me to cut costs but what will happen if you know i fire all these people then i and start pmf happen and then i have to start suddenly grow very fast right the problem is the reverse the problem is once you spend the money the money is not coming back to you Mm. Uh, right so you can't keep on paying a high cost strategy assuming ki i'll figure out pmf and what if you don't right so today is not the time to be over optimistic experimental yeah 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 so yeah i guess the startups also don't have the opportunity to experiment as much as they probably did yeah. a couple of years back and you don't have that luxury and you're almost forced to go back to basics of business building which you know in in the rust of terms is how can you t- convert a business and run it like a dhanda and then hopefully yeah. the dhanda is as interesting and inviting to a later stage investor to come and back you that's a very difficult sort of like a balance to find but i think i think you know uh, most companies are in the same uh, bucket right so investors are it's not 
if you slow down your growth and you look very odd and all that right it's 99% of businesses are like that today mm-hmm. so if you can you know but people will go and look at like hey what is the quality of your revenue what is our our customers very happy with you right so typical conversations are like hey you know why did you use this product is there no other alternative are you using just because of price because of cut price or you know their features and do you love this product really or not so i think yeah. when when we hear those answers then it becomes much easier to invest then it becomes much easier to say this is a good company because we are not seeing the same thing customers don't say the same thing for different businesses mm-hmm. so i think that uh, if your customers are able to articulate that that is amazing yeah and and a fund like axel obviously invests across the spectrum right and yeah. you're not just looking at a particular vertical as such and that's a that's perhaps one of the good things of being a generalist fund is you are able to also double down on certain sectors that perhaps may start showing a lot of good momentum in markets like such as these that we are in right now so setting that as that as the context have you been able to like view certain sectors domains in india that has perhaps give shown you a little bit more optimism compared to the others obviously the markets that we've seen that are being hit is pretty evident but let's say the ai wave and boom that happened in the us you know mm-hmm. for 6 months a lot of companies piggybacked off of the open ai's success story and were able to raise some amount of funding but then eventually vcs found out that hey there's nothing unique here there's you know there's no tech moat a lot of companies are just trying to like build very similar models and eventually funding kind of like dried down there as well taking that as an example has there been or have there been certain sectors in india that has given you guys a lot of like optimism in in spite of you know markets being a little gray so i think um uh, just think i, I think i think uh, fintech lending has always been there uh, continually uh, d2c brands on the higher end of the spectrum like you know the more expensive brand they tend to have sticky behavior where people don't go away from spending money on that mm-hmm. uh, consumer spends on average have kind of come down but it's mm-hmm. so i think india by the way is in a slightly better spot so i think there is a funding story and there is a how is your business doing kind of story mm-hmm. uh, right so globally businesses are feeling the heat like saas businesses which are very much in line with spends in the us markets there they are feeling the heat right their sure. revenue have revenue is hard to grow customers are not buying because everybody in the us doesn't want to spend but if you are in line with indian economy which is doing quite well uh, or relatively quite well you know we haven't seen massive job losses across the board in different industries in india outside of tech and inside tech also it is mostly because of vc funding or because us uh, it spends are not happening so if you look at the regular consumer economy in india it's doing okay it's mm-hmm. not maybe not super great but it's okay like you know this diwali or if you look at big billion days sale or amazon uh, when they do stuff amazon uh, the grand festival and all i think they're doing okay yeah you know it's like compared to last year there's growth uh, but it's not like blow out we are not doing like a 40 50% year on year thing but it's fine right so i think we are we are in a indian economy is like pretty decent shape like lukewarm it's not ha- like cold it's not like hot right so mm-hmm. it's so now in terms of pockets of opportunity um, i think the people have definitely pulled back on spends which are non essential mm-hmm. so um, 
people would spend on your roti kapra makan people would spend on your direct consumer purchases uh, you know all of those things are happening but let's say people would not spend as much on travel right mm-hmm. so that's the that's the spread or let's say uh, so and and the 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 thing which moves the wheels is definitely lending so i think we are starting to see uptick in lending a lot uh, we are starting to see in fact interestingly we are starting to see uptick a lot in wealth Uh, because people are doing savings now and then that saving has to go somewhere uh, so fintech i think is a pretty decent place to be uh, though you have to comply i mean in india it's a little uh, difficult in terms of fintech for all the uh, regulations right so it's good that all the regulations are coming in so it becomes much more clearer uh, but uh, so yeah so that's what's happening yeah that's interesting to hear that um, you know even though on the that it it's a two different story one on the build side one on the funding side it's good to hear that and i wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about you know your investments and the things that um kind of like define who you are especially from a day to day perspective and more often than not i end up asking a lot of the investors who come on the show to um share with me some of the things that you know that they've learned about themselves as an investor because you know investing in and of itself is a very self discovery process and you know you kind of like mentioned that when you were trying to make that first investment you were like very eager to get it out of the way so that you kind of like you know get get off the mark it's very similar to when a batsman comes on the crease he or wants to just get off the mark so that he's not feeling that pressure of scoring that first run and very similarly i went through that as well i wanted to get the first investment out of the way when i was in, when i was in vc I want to like talk to you about the evolution that's come up, come about since then. You know, what have you learned about yourself as an investor that you know you can perhaps share with us? Yeah, I think I, I think the first time you're given a chance to invest, everybody is very eager to invest. Yeah, um, I actually have seen extremes. I've also seen folks who are extremely careful about when they invest and they don't want the first investment to go bad. Right? Yeah. the rule of thumb i've done i've realized over a decade of investing is your first investment always goes bad unless you're like very bad. it yeah. has to go bad like it will shut down or you'll not make money on it founders will fight something like that um, everybody who's become who's an investor thinks they're very smart and this is the investment is going to become a unicorn because you really need to believe that right you really want it to be a very large company and all that um so you know you then realize like over the decade also i realized like it's very hard to build a business right uh, even more so in india for whatever so reasons but uh, you know you need to be very lucky you need the business constructs has to be right you have to building with the right team so it's it's uh, i think i'm lot more realistic i'm not super mm-hmm. optimistic i'm not super pessimistic uh, but i'm like okay you know you basically roll up your sleeves and say Rome was not built in a day. Uh, okay, I've done the investment. It, this company now has money to become big. Um, yeah. Let's see, of, are we doing the right thing or not? I think yeah. that is one very big change. Second very big change is you know earlier you I used to get excited by markets like the question you asked, which are the pockets? Uh, I think instead of markets, I start to believe more on. So obviously, markets play a lot big role, but if you if you are if you have the right team with you. I think that plays an even bigger role. Okay. At the end of the day, even if it's a great market, but all companies have problems, uh, and if the team is doesn't believe in them, they will not be able to build the right thing. Or yeah. let's say you have a great market, your team company starts doing well, and I've seen this. 
and you suddenly get a lot of money from some other investor because you are doing great you know mm-hmm. the team realizes doesn't realize they start overspending or they do a lot of bad experiments um, or they were not thoughtful enough then also you have a problem right so mm-hmm. i think the team plays a very significant role uh, there i do find a lot of very very smart people who are building it for the right reasons there there is a disconnect sometimes that they are not building it they are not investable by a vc because they are building they have their ambitions are so much right so mm-hmm. that's another part uh, right so yeah so i think and then i think the third thing which i realized is timing is also a very big challenge right so if you look right now you have so there was a crypto boom right now we are having ai i don't think there's the two are comparable but yeah. the true first movers they tend to get advantage they tend to become big companies and all that mm-hmm. and so i think that's the other piece so your timing in the in a market is also uh, very important, important. yeah um, if you are following a hot trend if you're not following a hot trend if you're coming and saying hey i'm going to reinvent a existing industry then i think you have to be very um what i should say like you have to be at it like you have to you have to have grit you know because now you're not you know you know you have to show that you can change the industry you'll have to do it kind of by first principles and say hey this is what i need to do yeah, yeah. so i agree with you i think a lot of that really comes down to again um understanding who you are and what really matters to you as an investor and i i mean i i obviously haven't spent as much time as you and vc i only spent about 5 years but over the course of my short stint one of the things that we were made to like or we were taught uh, and i'm very grateful for that sort of like learning that's come about is trying to figure out what 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 excites you Like what is it that excites you? And for me, um, might be a very cringe slash common answer, but it's people. You know, yeah. can I can I do business with this person? Can I call this person home and introduce them to my family? Can I just hang out with this person outside of just work and know that this person is a good person who can attract talent? Because at the end of the day, most founders with great ideas on paper, um, I would like to understand can they attract people who can believe in that idea and bring that idea to life because at the end of the day more it's it's not the idea that really matters it's can it's, it's the ability of the founder to execute and to can this founder attract other people smart people who can help them build that idea faster than anybody else and yeah. if i never felt that over the course of my diligence process no matter how much you did research over the market or competition or what they had in hand it didn't matter and that i think is a very hard process i don't think i ever came to even 70% of figuring out how to like figure out evaluating people or founders but it's just one of those things that happens with time the number of companies that you see and even if you know one of the things i learned was if you had a quota of looking at 50 companies on a yearly basis you've got to look at at least 150 to 200 just to build that muscle memory to build that skin you know yeah. where you kind of like start understanding what it means to like meet and evaluate people that's a very hard thing to do yeah 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 i think you're bang on i mean uh, after 5 years of being vc i realized that i still don't know how to evaluate people and i think right uh, it it how do you how do you judge a human being right i think that's the tough part i think yeah uh, i evolved into this 5y kind of a framework like you know you just why 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 you know keep asking the question it helps yeah. me clarify my thought process it helps and i think it also leads to some you know in today's or at least in 2021 people like founders would meet you and say hey okay we did a half an hour meeting now where is my check 
Yeah. Doesn't, you know, you need to build the relationship. You need to see the person over a period of time to be able to get comfort. I think that's mm-hmm. the, that's the, that's, that's my, I think, I mean, a lot of, lot more people are a lot more comfortable writing faster checks, but yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, it's, it's a long-term investment that anybody makes uh, when they're speaking to founders, which is not money or capital, which is time. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, are you willing to like take an hour of your time to sit down with somebody and, and give them your insights, their knowledge, feedback, whatever it is, or open doors for them? Because you could be one out of, I don't know, 200 companies in the portfolio, but the only reason somebody is going to help you is because they actually connect with you on a human level. It's not because your idea was something that blew them off because it precedes each stage. Very few ideas really blow people away. Yeah. Yeah. It, the people don't keep on doing the same thing again and again, right? So people yeah. like people realize very quickly that any idea has its shelf life, right? So it, it changes. It 100% yeah. changes. Like, very and any new idea today, tomorrow will have 10 competitors. <laughs> so yeah, the, yeah. it's it's not about the idea anyway. Like you probably need to be doing something different to be attracting. And that was going to be a question that I wanted to ask you is what today catches your attention? And in a way that you kind of like also hinted towards it being people. But And you said you're still trying to like figure out what about people it is that you're looking for in, in, in when you're looking at it at founders but just to probably take a couple of examples of investments that you have made if you were to just draw some similarities and trends what do you think are the things that excited you or stood out when you were speaking to those founders so uh, let's look at the most i've done three recent investments yeah. so in the case uh, it's a cyber security investment uh, we knew the guy for like three, four, I would say six months, not not mm-hmm. a lot. But every interaction, we were able to get some insight and get a sense that okay, this person knows what they're doing. Yeah. What they're building. But they I mean they basically said we don't know what we're going to build, but hey, I'm going to start off and said, okay, you know, uh, I'll help you with a small check and say go figure out what you want to build. Right. So there there was a lot of conviction on the person in figuring out a problem. Um, and they seemed like a person who, uh, who can build and they seem like a person who can build a business, build a product and a business. So I think this is the other part where you're looking at a person and saying, yes, they might be a good engineer and they can build a product, but they, can they build a business? Because building a business means has setting up a team, getting customers, getting paid, you know, negotiations, all of that, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so that's the other, that's the other bit. Um, second investment I did uh, was good team, uh, they were, we initially said no to them first. Uh, uh, we spent, and again, there we had known the person for some time. Um, you know, same, uh, maybe it was a year. Uh, and they, then they left college and they said, we're starting off a company. And then, uh, we didn't, there were some dynamics in the team, which we were not very clear about. Okay. Why mm-hmm. is this team structured like this? And uh, and then, but, you know, also the problem statement was not very clear. So we initially said no to them. Then over the course of three to four months, uh, we basically, uh, they came back to us and said, hey, you know, these are changes in the team which we have made, uh, like roles changes, somebody else was made CEOs uh, and all that. And two was, uh, they also changed the the problem statement. We went and spoke to customers and we realized we were solving the wrong problem. And mm-hmm. now we were able to find these new customers, a uh, different set of customers who we think are going to be using our product more and also will be paying us more money. 
Yeah. So that demonstrated very clearly the fact that team was willing to change and listen to feedback. It was they are listening to customers. They are able to understand. Uh, you know, they are able to think that what they and they are able to accept that what they are doing is not right. So I mean, those kind of dynamics played in. Anyways, technically, we knew the team was good. So that was the second investment we did, uh, or I did. The the third one. Again, the third one is very amazing. So third one, I didn't really know the team at all. Like I had seen them on, you know, social media and other than, um, and again, it's a AI investment. I actually said no to them first. Uh, I think, I hope it's not become a trend. I say no, and then I do the investment. But, <laughs> uh, but there I, you know, it was mostly online and uh, it seemed like what they were building was obviously useful, but there was a lot of competition in that space. Right. There's so much competition. So how do you stand out? And um, so then two things happened. One, uh, they got a customer uh, and that customer kind of validated a bunch of things and we could see why that customer used this product versus other products. So the founder was saying it, but it was not happening, right? So, uh, so customer validation was very key for that particular company. And then two, uh, using that as a wedge, the founders ended up spending time with me and I think there it became more and more that they were very passionate about solving the product. Like, you know, you have this thing of they a founder who will uh, beat their head into walls to break the wall kind of a thing. So that mentality kind of showed up. So mm-hmm. that I really, right. So that, uh, so it's a team. So in, I think in all the three cases, first, obviously it was team, but each attribute of the team was different. In the first case, they were knowledgeable and they knew what they were doing. The second the the team was a decent team, but became good by demonstrating that hey, they are learning on the fly, and then they are able to accept changes in the team. It's a young young team, and the yeah. third team, there's the passion, the passionate and grit, passion and grit that stood out, right? So, and then obviously the ideas were there, uh, right? In the first case, they, they didn't. It was just an idea. They didn't even have a product. They didn't even know what they were doing. So, mm-hmm. second case, they spoke to customers to figure out. And third case, it was a competitive market. So. Mm-hmm. The fact they got validation from the customer was useful. So right. that's very interesting to hear that you had three different sets of founders with completely different um personalities, team dynamics, and even maturity in some cases, and even awareness, right? You know, somebody who went back and spoke to customers and trying to understand that they had to like take a different approach versus you know, people who came with a different, you know, passion to a problem statement and they had that grit and determination to go out and execute. These are very hard things to also recognize uh, over a course of just a few interactions. And sometimes it takes a longer time. And this is the biggest realization that I've had, to be honest. Like I've, after fundraising, I we, we pivoted after fundraising for six months to cybersecurity and in cybersecurity, we fundraised for like about a month and a half. But if I were to reflect back on the last 10 months of just, trying to fundraise, speak to people, speak to VCs. I've realized the ones that I've, I've actually have built a good relationship, even the ones who've said no, are the people that I took time to like spend to get to know, get to know who they are. And they never rejected the idea, even the ones who rejected, they never rejected us because of the team. They always rejected the idea. And they said, we'd love to work with you if there's something better that you could come up with. And this is when we were working on the first idea, right? And then when we pivoted cybersecurity, even the ones who eventually did not come, you know, come come into the round, said we loved you, we love you as a team. Let's keep in touch. Would love to see if you can execute what you're doing. And if you do, we always have an option to work in the next round. And we're like, great, that's 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 good enough because we'll continue to like build on that relationship that we've kind of like 
just started to embark upon. And I think some of the best founders that I've spoken to as well have told us that don't take a no as a no. A no today may be a yes in the future. So don't take that too hard. And I think that's really important that a lot of founders do not leave that no at the door and stop building on that relationship. It's really important to start building on that from the day that the no came into the door. Is like trying and seeing, can I get to know you? Can I prove you wrong? But prove you wrong in a way where you also get to know me, where you get to know the yeah. team, where you get to know what we're doing. And I think that's a very important journey that most founders need to somehow, and it's a very conscious effort that founders need to make because obviously they have a million things that they're doing including company yeah. building, but at the same time, keeping all the current stakeholders happy and future stakeholders, but also not forgetting the fact that there are a lot of like no's that were said, but people who truly believed in you, who can still come back into the future on, should you execute pretty well? I think that's a very important skill that most founders, and I think that's the biggest learning that I've had is really, really working with some good folk. And you also like end up understanding who are the good people that you meet as a founder and that you think you want to build relationships with from a VC point of view and know that if not today, you want to work with them later. And and I I have I have a one I have one pretty good example of a person uh, who's there runs a small shop called Essence VC here in the US. Tim, uh, we loved speaking to him. We really enjoyed the process. He said no. We felt pretty bitter about it, and we said, you know what, Tim, we'll bring you a backup series. They were pretty confident about that, and um, we'll continue to. We'll obviously hustle every and make sure he comes back. He has a small check, but it's what he brings to the table. We really enjoyed um, an ex founder coming in and being that VC, right? So. Things like that are very difficult to like often often come by. Now shifting gears towards the last leg, uh, you know we've got about ten minutes here. I would love to like understand a little bit more about, um, you know, just who you are and the person behind the persona, right? Now we've also obviously talked about some of the learnings that you've had as an investor, uh, how closely you worked with some of the founders, the things that you've looked at from a market point of view, and what about India really excites you. But if you had the opportunity to Two things, either venture out and start your own VC fund or restart your career all over again within VC. What are some things that you would tell yourself? Mm. And how would you rebuild Pryang's brand as an yeah. investor? Yeah, I think uh, the first thing I would do is I would just pick one particular space. Uh, mm. And uh, I think... To be a good VC, I think founders, and it was not so a decade back, but now founders want uh, experts in their field, right? Domain so, expertise, yes. Domain expertise, this guy gets my problem. He understands, he knows, you know, uh, like, like take cybersecurity, right? Like I still don't know half the things. Like I know what CM is, SOAR is, what threat intelligence, all of that I learned over three years, right? It takes time yeah. to, especially technical subjects, you need time to learn uh you know you all that and then so that's the first then you need to understand the industry right how buying behavior happens how customers decide so you need to create yeah. a network like you know we fund let's say fund you guys for example if you fund you guys then the first thing you would want is hey can i make a promise to my founder that i will get you like a couple of million dollars of revenue that's yeah. the strongest promise you can make right so that is yeah. promise number one promise number two is kind of like can i help you hire the best people on planet earth Mm. Right. So as a VC, I would invest in expertise. I would invest in building business relations where I can help my companies, uh, you know, get customers. I would help them in finding the best people in the world and hiring them in, into their company. I think if, as a VC, you can do those three things. Uh, you know, you kind of are a very big help to your companies and your success rate in your companies goes up 
and then there's a virtuous cycle which is there's a continuous cycle that if you have successful companies more successful founders want to come and work with you yeah. you can become a better company. so i think that is fairly fairly important um so in the first four five years of my vc i basically said hey i don't know what vc is so and by the way which i think is also okay which is i will just spend time looking at all different spaces so i did consumer i did fintech i did b2b i did saas um i think it's it's good it was very nice i figured out what i like what i don't like what i understand what i don't understand uh and maybe that is what is needed right so i could say uh, i am just a five year old vc not a decade old vc right so and then i am in that phase where now i do investments in areas which i love right so i do investments in cyber security in open source and developer tools and artificial intelligence and a bunch of b2b uh, investments uh, all other areas like i also do investments in fintech i also do investments in some of the other areas but it's by exception so i'm like mentally like i'm not going to do investment in this space mm-hmm. and unless and you know, it's a, like a really really amazing founder amazing idea amazing team comes up um so the bar is very high right so i think that's that's a big mental shift which has happened over the last 3 years for me yeah um, so i think a lot of this i, I think it's this going back to the fact that maybe at the age of 40 you get to know okay half the life is gone and you don't want to do things which you don't like so my yeah. advice to founders other vcs everybody else would be simply the fact that if you start with that premise that i will do stuff which i like then you kind of sorted because then you enjoy every uh, and then you are not looking for oh if i do this investment then some other large investment guy will come and give like you're not trying to make money you're trying to make do things which you truly believe in i think that's the big difference yeah. right the the challenging thing is you what you like and what you believe in are you do you have capability to be successful in that i think those are two different questions right so right i like to play video games but i don't have any capability to build video games yeah. uh so there i think you have to have a plan okay this is how i'm going to win this particular thing right yeah and the moment you focus on one particular sector or one particular thing and you say i want to be an expert in this thing if you can learn the process of how to become an expert then i mean just discovery of how to become a expert in a particular thing is is a big life journey for anybody agreed and once you do that then you can say hey you know i can let me go and become an expert in the second thing or third thing right so yeah. for example i kind of envy you right you've been doing this for 3 years as a as a podcast host you have a lot of followers you have a success so you've been at at your craft so actually yeah i think that's a better thing so at one point of time instead of a, i realize that my job is not a job what i want to do is a craft imagine right. like a japanese chef who spends sushi chef who spent 25 years or 30 years of his life perfecting the art of making sushi i was like yeah sounds very weird like making sushi should be easy yeah. uh, the perfect sushi so similarly like becoming the perfect you are it's a craft so can if think of your job not as a job but as a craft uh the other way to think i, I advise some of my colleagues as think of your as a vc think of your job as not a job but you're a high performance athlete mm. right you have high performance you have to have very high performance you have to make good decisions it leads to a different kind of so when you think of a craft it leads you to think that i need to do things in a i am dedicated to this and i am going to make the best effort to improve myself for the work i'm going to do when yeah. you think of yourself high performance athlete you start thinking about your mental state physical state you know are you at peace you know you have to t- start taking care of your body so that you can make optimal decisions 
So I think both things are important. I agree with you. I think you asked me this question at the beginning of our conversation before we jumped onto the podcast as to why we raise money from specific people within the security space. It's precisely for the same reason that you just described, which is they get it. You know, they they just get what you're trying to solve. And that's what I can speak to you from the other point of view is founders seek people like you who have that domain experience and expertise in the network because they don't have to like go above and beyond to explain what they're doing because it's already difficult for them to raise capital, especially in markets like this. And then going and trying to like give further evidence and doing like 10 conversations and giving a team and like data that they'll probably have to go dip deeper into and not have a thesis and then come up with like something around it. And then it's just harder for you to like pitch to somebody who doesn't get it as opposed to somebody who gets it right away. And that's what founders want at the end of the day is fundraising is already hard. Can you find somebody who gets what you're doing and can get and align themselves with the mission that you're on? And I think you're, you're, you're spot on in that. I think building a brand today is really important and building it within a specific niche is even, even much more appealing to anybody more. else out there because you could be a very generalist VC, but or if you're a very sector-specific VC, you automatically uh, stand out because there are very few people like you. Like the world of cybersecurity, there are only a handful of people who get cyber. It could be yeah. about 250 people in the world of VC who get cybersecurity because those are the investments. That's the only thing that they've done. That might even be a higher number. I don't even know if that's, that's a small number or a high number. But if you talk about generalist VCs, you'll find 10,000 of them maybe. So it's really important to have that sort of like... Also have a lot of role to play. I mean, um, you... the. Building a business, see, the uh, specific VC obviously gets domain knowledge and experts and all that. Sure. But understanding how a business is built, that a generalist VC knows. Like, so if you look at some of the large yeah. firms, now they're starting to get into a phase where large firms have specialized people. Yes. Right? But uh, so you need, don't get attracted also just because he had, the person gets your problem. You need to, as a founder, you need to quiz, okay, can he actually help me give good advice yeah. when my business and that's the other part right so a lot of times sector knowledge the vc appears very knowledgeable but you also need to quiz his business insights yeah what is he asking me a hard question i had not thought about this for my business before uh you know those things become very difficult like you could ask for advice we are this is our hypothesis in business building the business uh what do you think and then let them talk yeah right I you agree. have to be careful about that also I agree. I, I, I do believe that a lot of that business building knowledge, I mean, I could be wrong here, but this is one, one man's opinion. That comes like a product market fit, in my opinion. Like you're, when you're closer towards that and when, when a lot of things start becoming much harder, like when the scale kind of like increases and the pressure builds, when you're trying to like, if not even, it's just pretty product market fit issues when you just want to start having those people who've, who've seen overall company building. Because the early days, it's all about just trying to get to PMF. And then it's every other aspect of the business that becomes really important. And your role at that point as a founder changes from being a doer to becoming an enabler. And at that point, you need the generalist guys who have seen thousands of companies being built out. And that's where that generalist information about company building becomes important. I could be wrong, but that's one way of me looking at, you know, where I feel a generalist fits in as opposed to a specialist fitting in. Um, especially with certain sectors and certain domains. Um, that's how I see it. But I know we're almost at the end of end of time here, but um, any parting thoughts and opinions for founders in India who are currently like 
thinking about their next rounds or trying to build companies being frugal about all the spends that we talked about or ones who are thinking about starting companies what would that one parting advice be from you towards founders i think uh, just talk to as many customers as possible and build products that customers love yeah everything else will sort it uh, you know everything else will fall into place if you have that maniacal focus on your customer uh, is the only thing i can think of um, mm-hmm. you know So yeah, nice that's amazing. Yeah. That's a great note to end the episode on. Thank you so much, Prayang, for being on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, not just outside of the episode, but also on the episode. I've really enjoyed getting to know you. Um, hopefully, we'll get to spend more time virtually in person when I'm in Bangalore. When you're here in the Bay Area, I would love to build on this, uh, and we'll get to work together as well at some point of time. So thank you again for sharing some wonderful insights here on the show. Thanks, Akash. Thank you. It was my pleasure as well. Thanks.